Hello, everyone, and welcome to Call Your Hits, a Stormriders Airsoft podcast. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, a quick apology to all of you for not having any new content for you. I've been quite ill for the last couple of weeks, and I'm just starting to get uh, feeling better. So we're able to uh, get back into recording pod podcasts. It's uh, it's kind of hard to do that when you're coughing all the time and don't have a voice. But I sound relatively normal, maybe a little congested. So I figured, why not? Let's give it a go. It's a big improvement from the Batman voice, which he was rocking previously for periods of no more than three to four words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... With uh, with that being said, we I, I did think we'd take it a little bit easier today, do a bit of a Q&A. Uh, and in particular, what I thought we might do uh, is look at some of the questions that had all been also been asked on the Discord, just like general sort of questions that people have been talking about and sort of have some conversations around them. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to start off with what is our threshold for sharing gear with players? So when you have uh, players who are hitting the field or players who are already at the field, what are some of our rules for what we will and what we won't share with other players? So I guess I should start out by saying that like, A, you know, um, context to me is kind of important in terms of this question. You know, um, mm -hmm. the 12-year-old kid who I've never met before, met before uh, versus the, you know, late teens or adult who I've met never met before are very different. And I assume this is aimed at people who we haven't met before. Um, mm. or at least you aren't like, you know, good friends. Um, <clears throat> I also think my answer is probably a bit silly cause I'm fairly willing to loan out my gear, um, yeah. for a game or two, uh, probably more so than is the norm or sensible. Um, I'd say that that's fair, but I'd also, again, talking about context, you know, our community is much smaller, True. right? So if I lend my piece of gear, whatever that is, and we talk about specifics in a second, but if I'm lending something to somebody, even if I don't know them, it is very likely that I know somebody who knows them. Yeah, I right? mean, that's definitely the case where our community is relatively tiny. Mm -hmm. And I think, to, to your point, Pat, obviously, like, if it's a close friend, I mean, the, the question is, is doesn't even ask itself. Like, when it comes to my gear and your gear, especially for the two of us, and even with people like Johnny and Cal and Chris and people on the team, like, my gear is as, as much mine as it is anybody else's on the team. Yeah, it's me casa es su casa. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, if somebody needs something, yeah, absolutely have it, right? You need a rifle? Have my rifle. That's fine. No problem, right? We'll deal with it after. Um, so, really, I think the threshold... <laughs> Probably the question is aimed at when you get out of that circle of people who, you know, you feel comfortable with just, yeah, all of my gear is as good as yours. Because otherwise right? our answer is going to be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think if we work our way up the bottom in terms of priority or importance of kit, the first thing I think about is mags. I will give mags to literally anybody. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's especially like mid game or even before game if someone's like, you know, Oh, I'm rocking, you know, a renter who's rocking a, a high cap and they're hating it. Like, all right, here's four mid caps. Make sure they feed. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, during play, it's like, well, if I have the choice between having a teammate who, even if it's not one of our team, just like someone who I'm playing with for that game, uh, if I have the choice between making it so that they are shooting or not, 
There's an easy answer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I need them to be putting rounds down range. Therefore, if they need a mag, toss, carry on. <laughs> yeah, and I've done that. I mean, countless times. Last game that I played, actually, some guy was like, oh, I'm going to respawn. And I was like, are you out of ammo? He's like, yeah, what kind of gun do you use? And he, like, showed me an M4 or whatever. I'm like, here's a here's one of my, and it's one of my good mags. It's like one of my $20, like, PTS. It doesn't matter right here you need ammo i've got ammo here you go right and they were like oh my god thank you it's like it, yeah it's cool like don't even worry about it like we're on the same team we're trying to do the same thing let's keep doing that thing right it's as much it's almost selfish because like i need you to help me so here's some ammo let's go yeah right right you know and i think that um in terms of even in larger communities where like that wandering off might be more likely to happen because again you know here like there are 40 people at a really really big game <laughs> yeah. so it's not too hard to get your mags back um, and people are really good about it and I think that across the airsoft community in general you're going to have way more people who are really good about it than you have people who are going to like walk off with your kit um, yeah. but also you know even the 20 and 30 dollar mags that we carry are relatively expendable yeah um, and at least that's how we look at them right but fully understand that if you're listening to this and you're like well you know, I saved up a while to get my PT. Like, totally, that's legit, right? Um, but it's still a consumable, right? Yeah, and the answer there is also just, like, for all of this, you know, we're giving you our opinion, but it's your gear. It's your money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So your comfort level being different is not a thing to feel judged about or like you're, quote-unquote, doing it wrong. It's just this is what you're comfortable loaning out versus what we are. Totally. Um, you know, I... Uh, I'm pretty willing to let people fire any of my guns to test them, uh, you know, get a feel for what the range, what the accuracy is, you know, <laughs> what are these crazy upgrades you've put in this do? Um, I'm definitely willing to let any Storm Rider run around with my gear. They're not going to mm -hmm. book it, whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm not super willing to loan, like, let people run my HPA setup. Um which is weird because I don't actually think it's any more fragile than my other rifles, other than I would be afraid of someone dropping the tank. Mm. Um, like, I'm fine with letting, again, my teammates run it, but I'm not sure that I'd be willing to let, you know, just some random run it for a game. But it's also a very expensive build. Uh, so maybe there is a cash threshold for me there because, like, um, you know, my fully upgraded AEG will only cost me $700 to completely rebuild if someone runs away with it. And I'd be very angry if someone ran away with it, but I don't see that happening here. Um, if someone, you know, drops it and I have to replace parts in it, I probably have them already in my spare parts because uh, that's just kind of stuff I keep around. Um, mm -hmm. So that's not as concerning to me. And I think it might actually just be more a function of my relative comfort with the AEG versus uh, my comfort with the HPA. I'm not myself as proficient at modifying or fixing the HPA setup. Uh, and so like, if someone drops my AEG and it breaks, hmm, whatever, you know, like that's resolvable. Uh, whereas if someone drops the HPA and it breaks and I'm A, not immediately sure how to fix it and B, it's probably gonna be more frustrating. You know, um, if someone wants to run a pistol for a game and they want to borrow one of my pistols, sure, no problem. The worst they can do is break a pistol mag, really. Yeah, and, and I feel the same way. Like, I think, especially in a game, 
Like, if I have something, like, and I think a pistol is a great example of that. Like, if I have a teammate with me and his primary goes down and he's got, you know, it's not because they don't have ammo. It's like their primary is not working. I can just hand them my sidearm and be like, here, you can use that. I mean, it's got 20 rounds, so pace yourself. Yeah. But like, you know, yeah, Best absolutely. <laughs> And same thing, you know, with my with my grenades, like I've had lots of times where I'm like, okay, so you're in a better position here, take this, pull this pin and throw it, right? Whether or not they're effective with it, I think it, it helps that situation. So let's go ahead and do it. But again, I think a huge caveat for us is the likelihood that someone will run away with our stuff on purpose is very low. Like the the other day uh, at the game, I lent uh, one of the local players, Colby, uh, I let, lent him some AAAs for his uh, ear pro, right? And I said, hey, can you please make sure to give these back because they're rechargeable, right? And lo and behold, he did not give them back and he forgot. And then later on, he messaged me on Facebook and he's like, oh my God, dude, I'm so sorry. Can I get them back to you? I was like, it's cool. Like, don't worry about it. Like next time we play, I'll get them, whatever. But like, that's the kind of stuff that is more likely to happen. Yeah. I, mean I knew that he didn't do it on purpose. We've right? definitely had totally. uh, days where like with our, just with our team, we got together and we're like, all right, let's sort out all our gear. And that's like, Oh yeah, I got three of John's mags. And like one of Steph's. I still mm -hmm. have a, uh, a G and G mid cap that won't feed in any of my guns and never has fed in any of my guns that ended up in my box of kit four years ago. Yeah. Uh, that, no one on our team appears to own and it has no identifying markers on it. So it's just sort of like, uh, I don't know, I guess it was born of my basement. Um, and, you know, stuff like that happens. It's it's really, I think, for us a non-issue. Um, you know, I'm pretty willing to share ammo. Um, you know, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. people are at ammo. Do I know you? Whatever. Like, here, fill your mag. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know. But I think, you, you know, you, you said this at this uh, earlier, and I think it, it is worth reiterating, like, you may be hearing what we're saying, and this doesn't feel comfortable to you, like, no, I'm not comfortable with other people using, that's cool, right? No, and the question isn't, you know, what are the, what are the rules that we think everybody should have? These are our, our sort of thresholds that we have for how we share our stuff with people in our community. That's not to say as well that if I went to a field in, you know, in Europe or in the United States or somewhere that I would behave the same way either. Um, but it's something to certainly for us, like it's certainly something to, to take into consideration where we play and sort of not, um, you know, not our, our status, but like how long we've been playing. Like most people in the community know who we are because we've been playing a really long time. And as a consequence of that, like we know who people are, we know whose stuff is whose, and so it's it's easier to keep track of that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of a different uh, a different um, kettle of fish, as I like to say. And our gear, you know, a lot of it, like my mags all have uh, SO2 scrawled on them in yeah. some sort of Sharpie or paint pen or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, my uh, grenade has, I think, Cal's name and number and contact on it because I think I bought it from him. Um, mm. But the the net effect there is, yeah, it's pretty easy for anyone who wants to find us to return our gear to do so. Uh, and we've never really had a problem with it. Like, I'm sure someone has run off with one of my mags or two of my mags over the years. Um, and I've just not noticed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and, you know, for the newer players out there, like there was there were points where I couldn't afford for that to happen, right? Where if someone ran off with one or two of my mags, it was like, oh, that would be really bad. Like I don't have a ton. Mm -hmm. Um and I encourage you still to be pretty willing to like toss magazines at people just because you're gonna find it a lot more uh 
functional in terms of play. Um, you know, and I mean, if you're like, oh man, like I, I only have these six $30 mags and I really don't let them go. Fair enough. You know, that's, um, that's obviously your call, but you know, think about it. Um, and maybe if it's, if it comes down to it, only hand them to people who you've met a couple of times and you're like on a first name basis with, that's not unreasonable either. Especially yeah, if you're totally. playing somewhere with like a really big field and a really large player base. Um, you know, in terms of loaning gear, I really do think, uh, the more I reflect on it, the part of it for me does come down to, if I can fix it, I'm a lot less concerned loaning it out. Uh, I mean, that being said, you know, uh, I'm way more likely to let a kid uh, take my upgraded M4 than I am to let them take the Garand, because if someone drops the Garand and breaks it in half, then I'm out of Garand, and they're pretty hard to come by. Uh, if someone drops my M4 and breaks it in half, then I guess I have to buy another M4 body or pick one up off the shelf. Uh, I have too many guns at the moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's definitely some just what am I comfortable fixing slash what am I more inconvenienced by um, guiding my decision-making there. Yeah, definitely. But it's an interesting question to consider, and I think different people on the Discord and different people around the world will have different take on on how they approach that. But I would say as a, as a final closing thought, you know, uh, when it comes to letting other people at least get a feel for your kit. Like that can be really helpful. Like we, we very frequently encourage people to try out a bunch of different pieces of kit, right? And that can really only happen if people are willing to let you at least try it on and see if you like the fit or if it, you know. And so in order to foster that kind of environment, the best way that you can do that is by being that person yourself. I mean like, yeah, sure, try it on, see how you like it. Doesn't mean you need to let them out of your eyesight doesn't mean that you need to let them play a game with it if you don't if you're not comfortable with that but being open to letting people check out your stuff can really be a good way to build that you know foster that sort of like community minded community spirit that uh, that you're looking for right plus i mean we're all literally nerds here you know like mm -hmm. there's there's the benefit of well if i'm letting him rock my gun for a game or just to like put some rounds through it and see how he feels about that or whatever then i get in all likelihood to try whatever the other person has, you know. So I've gamed AKs even though I've never owned one. Mm -hmm. uh, I've gamed Thompsons uh, well before I owned one, you know. Um, and just all sorts of odds and ends, you know, both actions, whatever you, whatever you name, I've tried running it probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's a really cool thing to get to mess around with. Um, and I think that, yeah, like especially just letting people try stuff in, you know, sort of a test firing it in, you know, way is very, very easy and a very i think you can be very fairly comfortable doing um you know the only uh i think the only piece of kit i've ever really been concerned about lending out other than i guess the hpa setup because it's newer to me and i'm not as comfortable with it is um letting people use so when i was running the m203 i was running fairly high pressure values in the grenades that i was using off of co2 uh, and i was a little less confident loaning that to people letting people just trial fire totally because it's hilarious and it's super fun. Um, letting them fire it at folks a little bit less so because um, I was running it in a way that made it fairly zippy. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, that's, it perhaps wasn't the thing that I'd let someone shoot at someone uh, if I didn't know the person doing it well enough to be like, yeah, hey, this this shoots fairly hard, be sensible. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a fair point too to consider for sure. You know, so like if you're rocking your, you know, very high FPS bolt action and someone wants to try firing it, sure. And loaning it for a game, I'm not so sure about. Unless yeah. you're like very confident in that person. Yeah. 
So that's a good question. Um, the next question that we have here, um, so what is your take on real steel shooters getting involved in Airsoft? Recently, there's been a few well-known firearms content creators like Grand Thumb, Travis Haley, and Millspec Mojo getting into Airsoft, sharing their real steel experience with Airsofters, and encouraging the use of Airsoft as a real-world training tool. What do you think about that? And before we dive into the question, I think it's worth mentioning, at least from my perspective, that yeah, in some online spaces, there can be some sort of like rift or animosity, I guess, between real steel shooters and airsoft. But in my experience anyway, this seems to largely be an American problem. In Canada, this just doesn't seem to be as prevalent, like having this rift between real steel shooters and airsofters. And based on conversations we've had on our Discord, and it's, you know, it's an international community, I would say that it's even less of an issue around the world. So when you talk when you think about this this rift between real steel shooters and airsofters, I think just something to keep in mind that that's not necessarily gonna be some a dynamic you see all across the world. But that being said, I think to answer the question about real steel shooters getting involved in airsoft, I think you know, before we even talk about whether that's good or bad, I think some background is probably important. And really, I mean, to be completely honest, um, it was, I think it was, it was in the late 2000s that, you know, I discovered the old like Magpul dynamics, like the art of the dynamic carabine or carbine or whatever. I, I discovered those back in the, like the late 2000s. And that's what actually set me on a course to wanting to learn more about how to manipulate my airsoft rifle how to become a better player, you know, how to, I don't know, like maneuver the, the, the rifle around my body, do, you know, do good reloads, use cover correctly, all this kind of stuff. And I learned a lot by watching those videos, by emulating, you know, Chris and Travis. And for years, we did training sessions for Airsoft based on the content that were taught on, uh, in these videos. And some of the same concepts we actually taught and still teach to new players. So even if you look at, you know, the thing we always talk about, the bread and butter of our airsoft performance, the ready up drill, that comes from real steel shooting, right? Like that specific concept is something that uh, myself and Chris picked up from Bob Keller. He's got a really no nonsense, straightforward approach to uh, drills, you know, very, you know, he didn't do any of the like, um, fancy, like super secret squirrel stuff. It was really fundamentals, like focus on the basics. And that really resonated for me. So in talking and thinking about real steel shooting, there is tremendous value to be gleaned from looking at real steel shooting and applying the relevant concepts to airsoft. And I think that the, the relevant piece there is one of the two critical parts. So like, First off, to be completely honest, um, you know, like I've watched uh, Grand Thumb's video on this. Um, I haven't watched any of the others. Um, I think that the animosity here, such as there is, is either perhaps a little bit mm, pushed to sell content on YouTube um, or a matter of people going, well, my hobby is cooler than your hobby. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Like, you know, um, and I tend to fall pretty squarely on the, well, I'll enjoy whatever I want to enjoy possibly I will enjoy both deal side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, so seeing um, Grantham talk about, you know, the differences between real steel shooting and airsoft and what he thought was practical versus what wasn't was really cool because we've done the other end of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, there are just things about the physics of airsoft guns that mean that if you 
try real steel shooting stuff, it won't work super well. Um, you know, if you uh, drop to your side and try to shoot under a car, your BBs are going to go uh, to your left or right, depending on your orientation, uh, with your hop-up, which yeah. is not going to make things super useful for you. Um, and I think if, if you look at, uh, again, looking back at the, the Magpul videos and stuff, like historically, none of this real steel firearms content was ever truly aimed at airsofters, right? Yeah, I don't think the majority of it ever has been. <laughs> yeah, so what airsofters like ourselves would do is watch this content, gain as much information as we can and sort of reverse engineer it to apply to what makes sense for us in airsoft, right? And I think you, you mentioned just now, like, yeah, if you were to do, uh, if you were to watch the Magpul Dynamics uh, the, the video on like the carbine and they're shooting underneath the vehicle, like that's fine in the real world, I guess, I've never done it, but it doesn't work in airsoft, right? If you're lean to the side. But on the flip side of that too, the fact that you can curve BBs like that with your hop-up is something that is an advantage in some cases in airsoft because you might be able to swing a BB just around a piece of cover and hit your opponent and all this kind of stuff. And those are things that you will conversely never learn from real steel, uh, from, from real steel firearms content because it, that, I mean, unless you're in that, I can't remember what that, that old movie was where they used to curve bullets or whatever, but like <laughs> that doesn't happen in real life. So you're not going to learn that. Those aren't concepts that are taught. So, and then conversely, there's tons and tons and tons of bits of content that is taught that is not relevant for us in Airsoft. And some of it, like we'd like barricade shooting drills is not necessarily like, yeah, some of it, like a, like a stoppage drill or a failure to fire drill or whatever, like yeah, like those aren't going to apply to airsoft. We know that, but others, it's going to be a little less. It's going to be a little harder to figure out what makes sense and what is actually well. It looks nice, but it's not really applicable. And we've talked a lot about like how we've moved away from doing like sidearm transitions a lot because it's not really that you know critical for us in airsoft. I still right? do them because they're fun. <laughs> yeah, um, or uh, like uh, even reloads. Like you making sure that you you start every re reload drill with a ready up because that's more important ultimately than a reload, right? So those kinds of things, you know, having to parse through that information is certainly a challenge of airsofters using real steel content for their for their 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 improvement and their training. And there's right? some stuff that's you know part of real steel shooting drills that you absolutely shouldn't do in airsoft <laughs> um, just from a practical point of view right so if you're using a uh, a gbb pistol that runs on propane or propane accessories uh, then you do not want to drop your mags because they'll break right like yeah. if you're if you're buying a tm you know gas blowback pistol your mags hitting anything other than grass at, at the rate they fall from your hand is probably going to break them so don't do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and like, in terms of speed of reloading is just tossing it at the deck and getting a new one in there as fast as humanly possible the right answer? Totally. Mm, but I don't want to spend $50 on a new mag every time I play Airsoft. Um, in fact, I can't. <laughs> well, and I think that sort, of, that sort of brings us to the other point, which is, and we've been harping on this, like Airsoft guns are not real guns. They are not... Um, they're not a lesser version of their real version. They are toys, right? They're toys that fire plastic BBs. And as a consequence of this, they behave in ways like we've talked about that are different from real guns, but you also need to interact with them in ways that are different than real guns too, yeah. right? And so as a consequence, like whether we're talking about the, the hop-up or, or whatever, there are techniques, there are things that you need to do with an airsoft gun, like Pat just said, that 
really, if you were to do the real steel version of that, you would probably be in a situation where you're going to break something that you don't want to break and you don't want to replace. And, you, you know, in in a real life-saving situation, that's fine. Nobody cares. But in something that you're trying to going to want to do like every second weekend or every weekend or multiple times per week and on a, you know, a limited budget and stuff, like you're doing this for fun. Like you shouldn't be breaking your stuff for no good reason, right? Mag falls out of your gun and breaks accidentally. Yeah, unfortunately, that's too bad. You on purpose dumping the mag on the ground and then it breaking is just completely avoidable. It's going right? to feel bad real quick. Um, you know, I also think that, you know, there's a solid reality here where, you know, if people who are doing real seal shooting um, are interested in airsoft or can get something out of practicing with or training with airsoft guns, fantastic. You know, likewise, if you want to do as we've done a whole bunch, watch a lot of videos and talk to people about and look at real steel training and try to sort of figure out what can cross apply uh, to yourself, that's fantastic. I think in both cases, you're going to end up stuck at, well, I have to think critically about all of this because not everything works in either direction, right? Um, so to use, you know, another example, so I owned a GBB rifle for a while um, and uh, stoppage drills don't matter with a GBG GBB rifle because the uh, rifle just crunches the BB into pieces and fires out the ejection port on the leftover gas. Because uh, there's nothing really in there that's going to actually slow the thing down. Um, you might get a stoppage from a BB on a gas blowback pistol. Uh, they don't kick quite as hard and they're usually made with more plastic on the inside. So they're not going to just devour the BB quite the same way. Um, mm. But, you know, the things you need to do to get that out of there are not the same as getting a bullet out of a real pistol <laughs> for some strange yeah. reason. <laughs> and and so I, I do think, you know, to, to, to keep going with that, like, I, I mean, personally, like, I'm always wanting to learn more and I'm interested in firearms content, just like I'm interested in cooking content and everything else. And I welcome the, the knowledge transfer from people who have all this experience. And I think it is very evident or should be very evident how impactful real world experience can be in terms of improving your airsoft performance. And I think that having real steel shooters specifically tailoring content to airsofters, understanding, especially if they do that in collaboration with airsofters or airsoft manufacturers like eVike or the larger boxes or whatever. Totally. This could certainly help create really relevant content for airsofters that help them improve in a way that's actually applicable to the sport without um, passing on, you know, um, knowledge that is not relevant and or knowledge that is really not going to help you improve your performance. The challenge, though, and the part where I think some airsofters may be concerned, or, you know, certainly in my case, is that airsoft is still a game, right? And where I start to sort of wonder about real steel shooters looking at airsoft for training, like certainly, you know, there's a space for airsoft to fall into law enforcement and military training and stuff like that, you know, simulation airsoft guns, um, you know, the miles laser engagement systems, like all these sort of simulation systems for force on force training is something that, you know, law enforcement military have been looking for, for for years and years. And that's all fine. But we also see airsoft being promoted as a way for civilians to do real steel training. And again, from our perspective as Canadians, the idea of civilians creating and training their own armed militia is certainly a more American thing. But as one of America's closest neighbors, 
what happens down there certainly does tend to have an impact in Canada. And with everything that's happening in Canada, with Bill C-21 especially, we've tried really hard to distance ourselves as an airsoft community from the firearms community. Right. So just to give you some some examples, you may have noticed that we tend to avoid calling airsoft guns weapons because they're not. Right. And we regularly point to the fact that airsoft guns are toys and that airsoft is a game. And what we absolutely want to avoid is for the public or in, to a more serious extent, lawmakers looking at airsoft as anything other than a game or a hobby enjoyed by people of all age groups. Right. And that's very practical for us because we're trying to avoid it becoming treated as anything else legally. And I think that that's um, probably a useful point of view for anyone who lives somewhere where um, the legality of guns is, shall we say, less generous than it is in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be completely hypocritical for me to sit here and tell is tell you that I think real steel shooters should not get involved in airsoft or stay in their lane or whatever, because clearly I don't think that that's true. I think there's a lot of knowledge that can benefit people uh, and airsofters in particular in terms of getting better at the sport, getting more enjoyment, being more successful on the field. Like having, if you think about milsims in particular, like there's a lot of experience that can be passed down into how things are done in the real world and provide a more immersive experience. I think all of those things are true. The the only piece that I would certainly be a little bit concerned about is that sort of trying to change what Airsoft is about, right? Especially as, as it relates to what we do here in Canada, right? Definitely. And, you know, I think that there are a bunch of positives about sort of the idea of using Airsoft to train for real steel shooting. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I've always also butted up against the idea that you know, one of the reasons I like playing airsoft is that if someone shoots me, I'm okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And so I would definitely talk to someone who is more knowledgeable than I am anyway, uh, about sort of the value and validity of it as a training tool for keeping myself alive. If that were the thing I was thinking about fortuitously, I live in a very chill country where that's not a concern. <laughs> You know, so in no way do I view this as, you know, a, a combat training tool, really. Although there are aspects of it that certainly could be useful for, say, law enforcement to use as a training tool. Yeah. And do I realistically think that having content creators like, you know, Mojo or, you know, Grantham, Flannel Danny, Travis Haley, etc., coming to these events is going to start you know, acting as a gangplank to get all airsofters to become firearms owners. Like, obviously not. Like, I, I definitely don't think that that's the case. <laughs> At a minimum, they're competing very expensive hobbies. <laughs> well, for sure. And I, I think for people who are listening, like, the reminder is that airsoft should be seen as a game because that's what it is, right? Or if you're, like, really nerdy, then it's LARP, right? And uh, my man Galen knows what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> It's, you know, at the very least, like you're learning how to get better at a sport or you're learning how to get better at LARPing, right? And that's really what we're talking about when we when we talk about Airsoft, even when we talk about our like our Milsim light of types of events that we run, like it's chill, it's objective games and you can want to get better and you can seek out experts to help you get better. And that doesn't necessarily automatically sort of put you in, you know, sort of uh, into another bucket that you don't necessarily want to be in. But I think the reverse is also has to be true, where when experts like, you know, Mojo, like uh, like Grantham and Travis Haley are coming to Airsoft, 
I think there's there's a bit of an onus there to also respect the differences that exist in our sport and our hobby and not try to make it something that it isn't. And right? hey, to be welcoming, right? Like this is something we're doing for fun. <laughs> uh, if you're not doing it for fun, I'm confused. And, mm-hmm. you know, people who are coming to check it out, regardless of really what they're super into, uh, is good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting question, and I'm, I'm interested to see. I know um, Milspec Mojo in particular released a video recently that he that was done in collaboration with Evike, which I have, to be honest, I have not watched yet. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see um, how they how they take that, because these guys have a lot of really good knowledge, right? They have a lot of really good, no-nonsense things that can really apply to Airsoft and help make your game better. And I'm really excited to see what kind of content. That's the kind of content that we've been trying to make for years and years, specifically related to Airsoft. So hopefully we, we see more of that. And I mean, really, we've always been on the, like, if there's knowledge there and we can run away with it to improve our mm-hmm. play, then we're going to side of this approach to things. Uh, And I think that's a smart way to do it. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, uh, with a very serious, uh, very serious question, though, let's move on to another very serious question. Why does CatPat work so well, but look so bad? (laughs) Um, Uh, Because relish is magic. Uh, Yeah. Um, So yeah, CatPat is sometimes called relish. Um, You know, it's the official uh, camo pattern of the um of the Canadian Armed Forces it has been for uh I can't really remember the date that it came into service but it was it's been in service for as longer actually than I've been playing Airsoft at least like the early 2000s I think uh previously we've just been using like OD I'm pretty sure but so it's you know it's a digital pattern and I'm just going to come out and say it digital patterns kind of look shitty right <laughs> that's just you know that's my opinion and you can you know don't at me about it um it's just digital patterns to me don't look really great, but there is no denying that it was designed with the Canadian temperate woodland uh, in mind. The colors are exactly what our woods look like. Man, it and works really, really it works well really in well. our uh, our sort of woods environment. Like, yeah, it it absolutely now, does what it's meant to do. <laughs> no question, and you know we often say like, well. It doesn't really matter what it looks like if it works. And that's true. But on the flip side, we also say that Airsoft is a fashion show. So if it's gonna, if it's gonna, if you're gonna be wearing it, you probably want to look good, right? And as far as I'm concerned, I mean I wore woodland um I wore CAD pad, excuse me, from well, when I played paintball, so like prior to 2004, and I wore CAD pad my first year playing Airsoft at the very late least. Uh, and then still I have switched the to multicam in like 2007, yeah, or something like that. Um, yeah, and it, you know, it worked, right? Multicam did not work. It worked for like the first day because nobody had ever seen it before, <laughs> ever. And they're like, they just didn't know what to look for. And then after that, it was like, oh yeah, this sucks. I mean, it was great in the like seasons of the year where we have a lot of dead brush around because it's it's designed for arid and we don't live in arid but you know when everything's dying for the fall it's great it's um, great for like five minutes yeah right but i mean the cat pets honestly got to be one of the most effective things used for uh, for airsoft camo around here um mm-hmm. in terms of just disappearing into the background uh but we all think it looks hideous <laughs> yeah and it fades really uh, badly i think you know uh, if you look at a lot of the the people 
who work at the reserve battalion, for example, here in St. John's, the people who've been in a really long while, like you're looking at like, you know, the sergeants, like the E5s and stuff like that, their CAD pad tends to be really faded because it's been washed. And as soon as you wash it, it starts to fade and it starts to just, instead of being, you know, like bright green and then like a, like a nice solid dark green and a brown and a black, it's sort of like just pastel colors and it gets really really bad very quickly and commensurately less effective um it starts to be not functional as well so you have that dual problem of it's starting to look you know kind of like you uh you found it in a dumpster um Mm -hmm. but also it stops being good Whereas, you know, like my olive drab trousers are just staying the same olive drab, which is what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, our so, multicam definitely faded, but like, I think seven years of use will just do that to anything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, I I personally do not like the look of CADPAT, but there is no denying that it's really effective. And if I was really like, if the screws are really put to me, like I would break out, you know, whatever CADPAT I have left. Uh, and you know, uh, that's what I used to make my ghillie suit base. Uh, if you recall back in the day was a, a spare, like it was repro cat pad, but like whatever. And in some ways the repro cat pad is, uh, is better because at least I'm told the, uh, the fade issue is due to the like night vision functionality of the issued stuff. Um, like it uses, they use dyes that don't set as well because they're designed to do other things that aren't relevant to airsofters. But I don't know how true that is. And I remember when I was first starting out with my cat pat and it was starting to fade uh, and I would, I went on the airsoft Canada forums and I was like, how do I stop it from fading? And they're like, just don't wash your BDUs. And I was like, that is gross, but I guess that's really my only option. So, you know, whatever. This is a, um, a guide to how to play airsoft and uh, also how to never, ever go anywhere in your airsoft gear. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But I think it was a cute question because I, I definitely felt that. Like, yeah, totally. it looks bad, but it works well. Yeah, and I mean, it's um, it's that uh, Buckley's cough syrup kind of idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Very appropriate joke. Um, the last question that we have here. Uh, this one was was one on the Discord, and I thought it was interesting too. What rules do you think all fields should or should not have to make games as smooth as possible? And in particular here, the question um, is assuming that all the safety proper safety rules are in place, right? Like, so all fields should have a rule that say don't get on the field without iPro. Like, we're not talking about those kinds of rules. Like, we're really talking about rules that help the games just be as smooth as possible um so i think i'm gonna put no blind firing out here i know it's also a safety rule but in addition to being a safety rule it's just a rule that causes people to be pissed off period yeah uh and so perhaps we'll avoid that one <laughs> um, I, I, th- I think we should. I think we should talk about it because I think it's it's really important. Yeah, and it's it's one of the harder ones I think to. It's one that I don't see enforced as often as it probably should be. Thankfully, we don't have a huge problem uh, with that here, um, but I do see it happening regularly, and it's definitely a problem. And so, like, it has the issue of like the the mechanical safety issue of like, well, if you're pointing a gun around a corner and it's next to my jaw and you don't know that, then I'm going to be very angry with you very shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that aside, you know. Uh, it has an obvious, well, you don't know what you're shooting at 
kind of problem. And like there are safety aspects to that, but they're also like, oh, I blind fired and ripped a mag into one of my teammates. Oops. Yeah. Um, so it causes practical issues to play as well. Like the um, sort of, you know, slide behind cover, hold your gun up and spray in the direction of the enemy team, Gears of War style thing. Uh, I can't deny the sort of efficacy of it, right? It works, or at least it works mm-hmm. in the sense of putting BBs in the vaguely right direction. But usually actually aiming is going to work much better for you in terms of providing effective fire, even effective suppression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you don't end up with the sort of risk of shooting your teammates or shooting someone from way too close and making them upset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and like, yeah, okay. Um, sure, it's fun in Gears of War, <laughs> right? And honestly, you know, if you can, if you can one hand the rifle and just, uh, fire a lot over the cover, I'm, I'm sure that feels great uh, as a player to some extent. But you're sort of attempting to be the protagonist where everyone is really should be. So like, it's not really good sportsmanship in an airsoft context either. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, it's mostly going to provide you with wasted ammo and people like me shooting you in the hand from 50 feet away. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm glad you said it because like, really like it, it's very, very seldom that I've ever thought to myself like, boy, I wish I could poke my gun over this piece of cover and shoot it without exposing myself. Very seldom have I thought that simply because it's not effective, right? What I want is for them to stop shooting at me, but I'm not really going to achieve that if I can't accurately aim BBs at them, right? So yeah, you could get lucky, but I would much prefer to just maneuver myself around a piece of cover and get into a position where I can accurately put fire down, which is not only safer, like safety aside, is just more effective, period. No, it's that happy uh, coincidence, right? You know, the best case scenario where this is both a bad idea for safety purposes, but also it's mechanically sufficiently ineffective that if you are Mm. doing it, you should revise your plan. Yeah. Um, You know, partly because, oh yeah, you're putting fire down range. You can't see me, which means I'm leaving. (laughs) Um, And like, Big Pat ain't sneaky, but if you don't know where he is, you in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think it, that, We've talked enough about that. Um, The other really big one for me is, Mm -hmm. uh, and like I do this as a courtesy, I think it should be more or less a hard rule. If you are hit, do not stand around, do not stand in the way, get out of the line of fire, get out of the field of play as quickly as you can without sort of risking injury. (laughs) And if you don't do that thing, you're not allowed to complain about about being shot multiple times. Because you're going to. That's a side (laughs) Yeah, like if you're standing next to the guy I'm shooting at and I happen to hit you, well, I'm using an airsoft gun. Uh, welcome to the effective accuracy of airsoft guns. <laughs> but it's it's interesting because you raise, I think, a good point. And again, we're not talking about the safety brief and like the gameplay briefs and stuff like that in particular. But I think historically, I've seen a variety of ways that p- people are instructed to call their hit. And in some cases, it's not very good, right? Sometimes it's like, hey, if you get hit by a BB, just call hit. Right. And like, that's fine if you have played airsoft before, but sometimes, especially for a new player, you need to be told if you are hit by a BB, you need to do the following things. Call hit as loudly as you can, put your hand up in the air, put your dead rag on if that's a thing at your field and get out of the, you know, GD way. Right. (laughs) I, uh, Um, I gotta say, honestly, also 
the the kill rag thing. So for how much a red scrap of fabric to hold over your head to indicate that you're out costs, I genuinely think they should be mandatory for anyone who's not like brand new and field provided for anyone who is. And to be honest, I think our field in, in particular is an outlier in that case. I think dead rags are probably a lot more prevalent at uh, at fields based on conversations on the Discord. I think they're pretty prevalent. Oh, well, then that's, local that's, that's an us thing. Or like, well, then local pad yeah. is irritated by local problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think I think it's fair. Like I think one of the rules should absolutely be very clearly communicating what the expectation is for you to do once you're hit, right? As safely as possible, obviously. Like obviously, you're not you know you're on second story of a building. You're not going to throw your fire yourself out the window <laughs> or whatever, right? But but yeah, like you need to get out of the way. You need to call. You need to, you need to communicate. And if you don't do those things, you certainly can't complain that you kept getting shot. If it wasn't clear that you're hit, I'm sorry, but I will keep shooting. Right, that's that's the bottom line for me, and I think for a lot of other players. Yep. Yeah. I think one of the things for me, one of the rules that I, I really think, um, well, in general, when I think about games running smoothly, one of the things that I want to remove as much as possible is players having to interpret whatever the particular situation is. Yeah, we want the because instructions the to be leave, as idiot-proof as possible. Yeah, and like the more you leave open to interpretation the more likely you are to get in situations where uh, you get in this like, yes, you did, no, I didn't, yes, you did, no, I didn't situation, which is horrible. And one of the ways that I think that that does happen is when you're using grenades that don't actually fire BBs and just have a quote-unquote kill radius around said grenade, right? So if you have, and I've seen this before, and we've, you know, we've played around with this and ultimately we decided against it, it's like, oh, well, if a Thunder Bee lands within 15 feet of you and goes off, you're, you're considered dead. Cool. People are really bad at estimating ranges, right? Oh, that Thunder Bee went off. It should have killed you. No, I, I was 16 feet away. Really? It's the... Uh, really? It, whenever you right? start talking about, like, the reliability of people, I was pointed the uh, study of the percentage of people who thought that they could probably take a grizzly bear in a fight if they, quote-unquote, really had to, where it was, like, <laughs> a 20% of the polled audience was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could, like, could win that fight if I had to. You don't know what a bear yeah. is, period. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not a chance. You know, like I, uh, I'm okay at estimating distance in inches over like a five or six foot space because of playing tabletop games forever. Uh, but like, if you look at me and go, "Is that a hundred feet?" I go, mm. <laughs> and yeah, you know, fifteen feet I can do. Fifteen feet feet is like you know two and a half pats long. <laughs> good, yeah. en good enough. Uh, and like. Unless one of the respondents in that survey was half Thor Bjornsson, I also don't believe that he would be able to take a bear. So like, especially not a grizzly bear. So like, yeah, people, yeah. And I, I think you're, you're right though. Like people are bad at estimating, engaging. And the more you encourage uh, or create an environment that encourages them to do that, the, the more you're opening up the opportunity for there to be disagreements, right? And when it comes to disagreement of rules interpretation, that sucks right? That's not a good conversation. That's not fun. That is just not conducive to having a good time. So the best way to do that is to avoid having rules that are open to interpretation. So for us, in order for you to be hit, you need to be hit by a BB. Full stop. Whether that BB comes from a grenade or some sort of landmine or an M72 law that is more or less effective or an airsoft gun or whatever else, right? If it's a BB and it hits you and it's not a ricochet, then it's good. And even then, with the ricochet, we say, well, ricochets don't count. 
it can be hard to tell sometimes. And, and I think, but regardless, and I think, right? But I think the functional answer there with all of it is an air on the side of yes, right? Mm-hmm. If you were playing a five-minute airsoft game or 10-minute airsoft game or even 30-minute airsoft game with no respawns, it's still easier to just go, oh, yeah, that hit me, cool, mm-hmm. than to, you know, oh, I really want to keep playing. Well, you also want to be on the, the side of the angels on this one, right? You want to be a good guy about this. Um, totally. I will also add, I really don't like, oh, like gun hits count or don't count rules, um, you know, because again, it's just that like, oh, well, it hit my gun, so I'm going to switch my sidearm. It hit my gun, so it didn't hit me. Those overcomplicate things, and they just lead, as Phil has sort of alluded to, to people getting pissed off, Yeah. right? And I'd rather just get hit, call myself out, and go again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Usually, you'll waste less time than people waste when they're getting pissy. <laughs> yeah. I think hard and fast rules, to me, really need to be limited to things that directly impact player safety, number one. So, yeah, the hard and fast rules, like around iPro and around all that kind of stuff, totally, 100%. That's not what I'm talking about, right? When it comes to gameplay rules, you really want to consider whether the rules are easy to interpret, whether they are easy to apply in a context that where things kind of get muddy. Right. By the time you go and analyze the situation, everyone's moved around. The grenade might not be where it landed uh, when it went off, like all this kind of stuff. So who knows what the situation can be? So you really want it to be as clear cut as possible. And as a, to, to keep going on that thought, another rule that I think is important but needs to be applied, in my opinion, correctly is bang, bang. Yep, bang, bang sure. rules get a lot of hate online. Lots of people are like, I hate bang, bang. It's the stupidest thing ever, blah, blah, blah. And We've said for a while that the way that we apply the bang bang rule here uh, in our community, in my opinion, is extremely sensible. And that is that it is only used in a situation where the other player has zero chance of returning fire to you in any way, shape, or form. Because you caught them completely off guard, you're immediately behind them. And they're not, they're not looking at you. They have no idea you're there. And so as a consequence of that, you just go bang, bang. And they go, oh, yeah, that's it. I'm done. Yep. Right? And like, and it is a courtesy. And I think it's worth noting there. Like, I've had players, like I've come around a corner on a player who's had his gun down with my gun like two feet from their chest. And they've gone, whoop, nope, nope, nope. I'm okay. I'm out. Mm-hmm. That is not the kind of interaction we're talking about here. This is more of a like, yeah, no, we're going to have a rule for quote unquote mercy kills. Um, if you're rocking an airsoft rifle that doesn't have an MED at your field, if you're playing at a field that has any airsoft rifle without an MED, assume, be okay with getting shot from a foot away. Right? That doesn't mean that, like, it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> it's not yeah, going to make yeah. your day. Uh, but, you know, these are rules that are a courtesy. This is, hey, it's going to suck if I shoot you at this range. So, do you want to just walk. <laughs> and yeah. the correct answer as a player on the receiving end of that should always be cool. I'm hit. Yeah. Thank you. Right. And that's yeah. the, that's really the key piece for me because loads of people are like, well, I didn't want to take it. So I tried to draw on them or whatever. Um, which usually results in both players getting shot, but is just one person being a dick. <laughs> like Yeah, and especially because like in that situation, the player who goes bang bang in in our context could literally have pulled a trigger instead. 
Yeah, but they, they chose not to as a courtesy to their player. And so in this particular context, I think what we're doing by putting this rule in place is allowing or giving the option to players to not have to potentially harm another person without their knowledge. Now, if they're... So I, just to give you an example, I came into the bottom of the old two-story um, last game that we played. I went in with my, with my pistol drawn and there was somebody there and the the player was engaged in shooting out the window and I shot him with my pistol and I did not go bang bang and I did not go bang bang because A, I wasn't necessarily sure if I was going to hit him with a couple rounds and B, he could have turned around at any moment and seen me and there's nothing I could have done about it. So I'm like, I'm not taking that chance. I'm shooting at him. And right? again, it's a courtesy, right? And not a thing but, you should be looking at people and going, well, why didn't you? Yeah, but to give you the exact same situation, I've had it before where I've done the exact same thing. I've come into that room from uh, using my sidearm and there's a player and he's fixed looking out the window and he has no idea that I'm there and I just went bang, bang because there was no need for me to shoot him that close, right? Yep. And there was no way he was going to turn around and see me because he was just focused doing on, on doing one thing. So it's a bit of a game time decision. However, the critical part here is that when you go bang, bang, the person doesn't go, oh, I'm not taking it. It has to be a hard and fast rule. Because again, if it's going to work and it's going to avoid disagreement, you can't give the option to be like, oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna take it or not take it. It's like, no, you go bang, bang, it's the equivalent of pulling the trigger, and then you move on. Now, I know that people aren't going to necessarily agree. They're like, oh, well, we hate bang, bang or whatever. But really, I would... I would urge you to think about the context in which you apply and how it's explained to people and how it's actually enforced on the field. Because we've had really good success with it. We have had almost no situations where people have gone bang, bang, and then it started some sort of disagreement or people have been upset about it. And right? frankly, if you're going like, oh, you know, that's bullshit, rethink your approach to this, like genuinely, because the reality is, again, you will be back playing in like five minutes, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Um, so walk it off, <laughs> you know. Totally. Um, what can you do? <laughs> mm. So guys, uh, thanks so much for listening. I think uh, we're glad to go through some of these questions. We don't have any update for you on Bill C-21. Uh, it is summer here in Canada and everywhere else in the Northern Hemisphere, of course. <laughs> and um, as a consequence, our parliament is in recess, so it's not something that's being debated right now. Um, that being said, hopefully now that I'm feeling a little bit better, we'll be uh, able to provide you with some more regularly occurring content. Uh, hopefully you found this entertaining and educational. And that's really all we have for you guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Uh, go buy some relish-flavored camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> See you, everyone.